the snow cancelling our game against Bristol City, we have something different for this week's show. With help from a special guest, we discuss the future of the current women's Super League sides as the English Football Association announce who will play in the top two divisions next season. Welcome everyone to another episode of the only dedicated Birmingham City Ladies podcast, Great Sense 68. It is episode 13 and it is brought to you as always by damsonparkdames.co.uk. I am Craig Hadley and I am joined as always by Chris Pugh. Chris, how have you been this week? Not so bad, thanks Craig, yourself? Yeah, I've not been bad, thank you. Yeah, much better than last week when I was a bit ill. I am also joined by Katie Wyatt, co-editor of the football website Wit for the Post, and she is also recently nominated for Student Sports Writer of the Year. Katie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me on. How have you been this week, Katie? You been okay? Good, yeah. I've been uh, working in Birmingham this week, so got a strange coincidence to be on a Birmingham City Ladies podcast, but here we are. Whereabouts are you originally from, Katie? Bradford so yeah the north. Was it wintry down there the same as in Birmingham this week? No it wasn't as bad as Birmingham because when I got into Birmingham I couldn't believe like there was sort of like two or three feet of snow it was really really bad down there but yeah it's not not been that bad up in Bradford. Yeah Chris escaped it for a little jaunt down to London didn't you Chris? Yeah I was was in London um, so the drive back on Sunday was pretty fun. But we, we managed to avoid the the worst of it. We managed to get about a yard off the drive on Sunday b- before we decided to walk to the shops because it was just awful. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to drive in Birmingham on Sunday. We'll move on to this week's topic then. That is the FA's decision on the next season's WSL Women's Super League clubs. It was announced 17 clubs that applied all got the leagues that they wanted. I'll run through the list quickly. In the Women's Super League 1 next season, so far it's going to be Arsenal, Birmingham City, Brighton and Hove Albion, Bristol City, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Manchester City, Reading and Yeovil. And in WSL 2, it is Aston Villa, Doncaster Bells, Durham, London Bees, Millwall Lionesses, Sheffield and Spurs. Now, first of all, Chris, in WSL 1, it was nice to see that obviously Birmingham got the place that they wanted in the top flight. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was a surprise that we got it, um, but obviously it's a weight off off everybody's mind that next season we'll be we'll be in the top division again and fighting for the fighting for the major honours like we have been since the WSL's inception. There was a, f- a few surprises in the t- uh, top flight in the end. Obviously, the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool, we all expected the likes of those to be in there. One of the ones that they stated they would apply was obviously Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Katie, what did you think of them applying for the top flight? Um, I wasn't surprised, to be honest. I think it's good and I think it's timely because, I mean, I've not been to their setup to see it personally myself, but a lot of people that have have been very glowing about the setup that they've got down there and obviously bringing Hope Powell was a massive statement of intent and the way that they run it seems to be really, really good and in line and really, really serious and very ambitious. So I'm not surprised that their bid got approved at all. So I'm really pleased with them. I think it's a really good step forward and I think as well with Brighton as a, the Premier League club increasingly, the men's um, team look really, really well run because obviously they've had their off-field problems through the years but they look as well like they've just got a, a long-term plan and a lot of contingency plans in place so it's nice that that's reflected in the women's team as well I think yeah absolutely it's really good to see that the um, hope power back in like uh, competitive football in with the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea next season uh, Chris um, obviously hope Powell ex-England manager how do you think she's going to do in the top flight next season um, I think it'd be interesting to see um, obviously a uh, 
tenure at England came to a, an abrupt halt with the with the Euros in 2013. You know, we didn't have the the best of tournaments there. Um, but I think, like Katie said, it's it's good to see that that there are clubs that are taking it seriously. You know, that are ambitious and and and, and as much as you want the. It's sad to see the likes of Watford go and, and, and not apply and Doncaster not applying for WSL at the moment and everything. You know, it's it's good to see that there are clubs in the men's game that are taking an interest in the women's game as well. And and Brighton are one of those that do look like they're ambitious and, and are gonna give a bit of a push and, and like Katie said, the, the managerial appointment, you know, some of the players that saw Emma Byrne, the goalkeeper from Arsenal. Um so you know, they're they're making strides as well and They've shown in WSL 2 this year that they can hold their own. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go in WSL 1. As you say, they've done quite well in WSL 2 this season. Um, do you see they're going to get any players that Hope Powell's worked with in the past? Do you think she's going to be able to work some magic and get some big names into Brighton? Um, I mean, I'm sure she'll have her connections and, and, and that might be one to look out for. Um, if they're ambitious, you know... Go for go for younger players and the likes of Watford and Doncaster and Sunderland who who haven't applied and and have made it pretty clear that you know so so those players are going to be looking at playing in WSL one and and certainly the likes of Brighton and whoever else fills those gaps um, will be looking at the players currently in WSL one as as some as some players that they need to get in to to give it a good go. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, in a bit to the teams that we think might fill the remaining spots in the top league but um, Katie uh, were you surprised that uh, some of the big names in at least the men's game didn't apply for a WSL1 license like the likes of Spurs perhaps? Yeah I think I think Watford's the biggest surprise for everyone really and I think it's I think there was kind of something a little bit difficult about the proposals fundamentally because I think it it did kind of the way that they obviously you've have been the exception to it in terms of how they've managed it and I think they just need a massive pat on the back and round of applause to be honest for whatever they've done to to obviously they've said about their links to the community and things but to make sure that they've met the criteria I think it's a big ask for them and that they managed to do it was quite surprising Um I think obviously Watford's the massive one in terms of how they've dropped out and Sunderland are obviously reapplying in March but I think it's just a shame that in a way it's kind of made it inevitable that you have to have more inevitable than it was than it was that you've got to have these connections to men's teams to really make a go of it and obviously you've been the exception to that that rule and they put out a statement and they said about their really striking line was something like they'd rather be able to control the controllables and have no control over their future and that's the the thing that that now they've kind of forced women's teams into the hands of men's teams and, and put their future at the kind of mercy of what men's clubs deem they want to their, their level of involvement to be and that's what's happened with Watford that for whatever reason they've said oh we're not we're not funding this anymore and they've obviously applied it for tier three they're going to compete in and it's it's just a shame in that sense that there are a lot of people who've worked so hard over the years a similar story at Sunderland as well the way they've had it scaled back because of the way that their men's side have been performing getting relegated from the Premier League and stuff so it's a shame in that sense that it's kind of made that relationship that was already very uneasy and very difficult a little bit more uh, inevitable. Yeah, obviously it's really it's really disappointing to see what's happened to Watford. Um, the players being notified like like was it about half an hour before it was, it was forty minutes before. Yeah, they got an email. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it, 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 we, we spoke about this on a on a show recently, and we we we, we both me and Chris found it shocking, and it was um, obviously the way it's gone, and they're they're trying to be more uh, community focused as they tried to sway the um, press statement that they gave out, playing in the women's Premier League next year in the third tier, as you mentioned. It's 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 not what we want to see, and it's a disappointment. Uh, as as you said with Sunderland as well, they went back to being a part-time club back in January. And the rumours that they're possibly going to link up with a possible local university or sports club. Yeah. It's 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 they're going to lose their identity as Sunderland, and it's and it's disappointing when the likes of Steph Hout and Jordan Nobbs went through there and they've uh, grown as players, Chris, and they've shown just how players coming through Sunderland can achieve in the top flight. Yeah, I, I echo what Katie said absolutely as well. The the one thing that is very sad is that. It, it does have that feel now that you are at the beck and call of the men's uh, the men's club. Um, you know that if they decide to pull the plug, you know even the likes of Chelsea and Man City. If if obviously it's a different case with those because they're the owners of their men's clubs are ridiculously rich, so you can't see them going anytime soon. But it, say it did happen in the unlikely event, it did happen. You've got you've got a club there that have two clubs that are dominating Europe at the moment and if their men's team if their men's owners decide to say well you're not having any more that that's it they're gone you know yeah. and, and it is it is disappointing that, that I think that the word identity was used you you are losing that a little bit in the women's game in that you are just going to be basically a, a women's branch of the men's club rather than a women's club as such I think there's an element of obviously with with Chelsea, Manchester City, and Arsenal that they're the men's clubs have committed so much to the women's teams and put so much money in. And Man City have had obviously won the the big three competitions last year, and then Chelsea, Man City are, are trailblazing in the Champions League. So the success that they're delivering is going to really um, endorse just how um, good an investment that was and good a decision it was to back the women's team. So I think there's a a safeguard there in terms of the, the men have put the men's clubs mm. and the owners have put so much money in that they're unlikely to pull the plug because they're getting the results and it's paying dividends for them. But you're absolutely right that that financial reliance now is so clear and so obvious. That, and it's just the case of like with Watford, we always go on about how well Watford, Watford are run as a club in the Premier League and how they can yeah. uh, they, they can sack managers, but they still seem to have a really strong identity. And why is that for whatever reason not being translated over to the women's team? It's quite an uncomfortable comfortable power balance yeah and it's certainly from blues perspective as well yeah. i mean i'm not I'm not being funny i'm a blues men's fan as well we're in serious danger this year of relegation if we go down to league one is that money that they're putting into the women's team going to be there next season mm. it's a big worry and so then you start to think well what what are our chances you know and i think the fa put you know, a, a conditional offer in in inverted brackets. You know that, you know th- this this has to be ongoing. This this you know the criteria has to be met now, and it has to be met in March, and then it has to keep being met. You know because they they know that in in the majority of cases, if if the men's team decides to pull the plug, then then the women's teams are going to be in big trouble. 
And yeah, and it's not just like obviously with Notts County was the worst case scenario. Well, of course, it just yeah, exactly. Ceased to exist, but even like Sunderland, where they went to a full time model, and then all of a sudden they've gone back to a part time model, and then they can't have the training facilities, and they've got to have training facilities in in Newcastle or somewhere, and yeah. the, the men's youth team have gone um, ahead of them in the in the kind of pecking order, and it's just it's frustrating for them because obviously it's the same case with um, Watford as well, and. And and Doncaster Bells are all these people who have worked so hard over the years, often like volunteering to to get the outcome yeah. that they wanted, and now just having kind of to, it's all at the whims and the mercy of of things that are beyond their control, and that's a bit frustrating that they can't decide their own destiny. And obviously Chelsea, Man City are at the behest of the men's team, but they've got a structure in place where they have a lot more saying, a lot more control over what their future is going to look like. And it's just disappointing that for some clubs, if the same kind of agreements and safeguards are not in place, what does the future look like for them? And I think that ambiguity and that uncertainty is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable for some clubs still, I think, as much as it's been reassuring that every club that applied and every team that applied got the, the position in, in the tier that they wanted, that there's still a few question marks, I think, over the sustainability of this long term and what it's going to look like and how long it will work for and if it will work so I think it's going to be one of those things where you might only be able to see uh, or judge it after you've seen it work in practice for a few years yeah I agreed with that yeah yeah I mean the, the, the stability is a real big issue obviously with um finances are going to be important this season obviously attendances they've they've put that thing in about attendances need to be a specific uh, amount each season I think it was like a thousand average attendance mm-hmm. I mean for clubs like uh, obviously Brighton announced they're going to be in WSL 1 next year but they've also announced they're going to be playing at Crawley's Checker Trade uh, Stadium yeah. which is like about 20 miles I think Rich Laverty put out on Twitter and the, the likes of them and obviously Liverpool and Everton who play a witness with these with these crowds that they want to get in and they haven't got the stadiums in the centre of the club's uh, catchment area, it's going to be a real issue going forward for the teams. I made a point the other day. I think we'll have to start moving. I'll have to relocate down south. The amount of games that we might have to play down south now um, in WSL 1, you know, us, Liverpool and... And Everton look, look, look like the uh, the stronghold up north at Man City. So, like you say, it's, it does feel a little bit of um, a loss of identity. You know, Brighton playing in Crawley, and obviously we've got used to Liverpool and Everton in win witness. So it's it's something that we're going to have to get used to. Um, and like Katie said, I think you're only going to see whether whether it's working or not once it once it's two or three years in. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I've, um, another London club, Chris, or at least another Southern club, is uh, London Bees, who have applied in the WSL 2 this season. Uh, there was an interesting article in this week's Guardian from journalist Susie Rack on their goalkeeper, Nicole Hobbs. For those who don't know, she's a full-time firefighter alongside her footballing commitments. I suppose with the move towards professionalism, Katie, uh, we could lose out on these kinds of inspirational stories. Yeah, I think so. I think the difficult thing as well... Um was that the FA, obviously the group, uh, FA, WSL Fans United, were very vocal in their, their kind of concerns about how this was going to work in practice. And they wrote a, an open letter to Katie Brazier and she replied and was saying that it's kind of, that when, that it's up to, obviously it's a player's choice whether they want to leave their career and go into football full-time, even though the FA pushed this thing through that all clubs in the, the top tier are going to have to be full-time, though, if it's all buts. And I think that's a difficult thing because it's like where where are the safeguards and where are the concerns because they've said that they've changed the licenses in a certain way that they can 
not not country situation is less likely to happen but I'd kind of like to see them really stress and emphasize what it is exactly that you've done to prevent that because let's say for example you you give up your career as a teacher or a firefighter and then you to go play football full-time and then that football career suddenly evaporates or it's not there you know it's a shame that there's still for all the women's game has come so far in this country there's still little things like job security is just not there in, in the same way that it is for men and obviously especially league one and league two and championship level when uh, men's contracts are up there is a, that big question of where am I going to go next where's the money going to come from but I don't think it's ever in doubt on the same scale as it is with the women's game when you look at Leeds and Charlton over the years that it can just happen so suddenly and it just that the boat's kind of going along quite nicely and then suddenly sinks and it's all beyond their control and I think it's a shame that uh, even these proposals, as much as we are looking at a situation now, ideally where all clubs end up like Arsenal and Manchester City, where they put so much in that it doesn't make sense for them to suddenly stop backing a women's team. Um, you're still looking at a situation now where they're at the mercy of men's clubs that what if they suddenly decide to pull the plug away? Is that job security? And for her, if it ever came to that choice of it's football or the firefighting, which route does she go down? And you might say that that's inevitable for growing the game that if you want ultimately a fully professional um, women's game at every level then you might say that's something that's inevitable that's going to happen one day but equally if that is the case and you're making someone make a decision about which avenue they want to pursue you've got to have some sort of safeguard or some security in place for them to make a decision an informed choice but then one that's not then undermined by oh well sorry we're suddenly pulling the plug on our women's team you're unemployed kind of thing yeah I mean the, pro- the professionalism is one thing but obviously the ones that um, have to rely on other jobs, and then when you get to when you get to the point where they they're, they're just uh, turned around and told, oh, you can't, you can never play in the top league if you don't give up your job, and it's basically it's given them it's it's how much it must be for, for the likes of players who've been playing for like ten years now, who have wanted to be footballers but they've never got the, really had the chance but need to rely on their other job, and now they're being told, well, even if you do really well, you're never going to get that realize that dream you have. It's it's mm. it's just uh, yeah, it's really hard. I think Michelle Hinnigan was in the same boat, wasn't she, at Everton? And I think she... Uh, yeah, she was a teacher, wasn't she? Yeah, Yeah, she quit Everton this se- at the start of this season to, to carry on full-time her teaching. So, you know, Hobbs obviously has, has got the, the dual responsibility at the moment, uh, you know, the, the, the football and the firefighting of it. But being at Everton, Michelle Hinnigan had to decide this summer. Um, and she chose the teaching. So you might get a couple of those when the new season comes around that are in the same boat. Like Katie said, there are still worries about safeguarding and, and job security. And, you know, if, if my club goes, I won't be a professional footballer. So there might be some players that do decide to pick their career over the football. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, obviously, it all goes back to the Notts County example, as Katie pointed out. Yeah. The chairman just decided, oh, we can't afford it anymore, but he can afford to support the men's team. And then they pull the plug and then the rest, as, as we know, is history. And it's it's a sad yeah. history. And it's um, moving on to Aston Villa is one of the teams in the WSL too, Chris. Uh, there's going to be no second City derby in the foreseeable future, at least in the league. Uh, but do you agree with Keith, uh, the chief executive, who has called his decision to go in WSL 2 as a sensible option, given that there's a cited a lot of change has happened recently in the club? Um, do you do you think that's a sensible option for the team? Um, I mean, like, like we've said a, a lot today, um, it, it really is the decision on the future of the women's club is is at the behest of the men's club, and and I know for certain, you know, being a Blues fan, how, how bad Villa have had it over the last four or five years. 
their main ambition is to get back promoted to the Premier League as as Aston Villa Football Club. You know that the whole club in general they they want to get back to the Premier League, so they run the risk if they decide to put a bit of money into the women's team to go for WSL one, and then they don't get promoted this season. They're they're at the they're at the backlash of of misogynistic male fans who who, turn, who can turn around and say, well, what do you put the money into the women's team when we could have bought a striker for that money? Do you know what I mean? So it, it's a really difficult one for 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 people to decide and. Obviously, they have to they have to look at it in every way. Um, Villa certainly would have had the money to, like we said about Spurs, would have had the money to go to WSL one if they wanted to. Um, and they've decided it's 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 not in the interest at the moment. No, it appears that a lot of the clubs in WSL two, or at least the ones who applied for that, are are in a build uh, building stage at the moment, and they're looking for the future. And and it's good that they're being cautious about this and not rushing into anything yeah and which could leave lead to a, a, uh, the inevitability of something like Notts County happening they, they they're learning from the lessons it could it could yeah absolutely you'd rather have your club in WSL too than have no club at all I suppose so absolutely um moving back to uh Sunderland then there's the potential that they're going to be working with another uh, community club or a community university or stuff. Do you think fans of Newcastle and and Sunderland agree to have a Northeast Alliance team? Would that would you think that would ever happen, Katie? Um, I don't know because I mean I don't know how not being from the Northeast how entrenched the that rivalry is. Like it seems pretty because in the women's game obviously there isn't the same history as there's in the men's. So whether they would that would play a part in it. I'm not so sure. I, d- I can tell you what it would be like if you, if um, if you offered me Blues and Villa merging. I can tell you whether I'd, I'd accept that or not straight away. We we have got a lot of examples, Chris, though, of players who have moved across Birmingham and Aston Villa in the women's game more so than perhaps the men's game. Players, absolutely, and that's understandable because you know players move left, right, and centre. Um, but if you're asking me to merge with Aston Villa Football Club and to become one club yeah. and, and to share facilities and for the for the same fans to be going. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's a bit weird for me. I had a um, Newcastle fan uh, who uh, talked to me on Twitter about this. I asked I asked him uh, the, the, if that happened, what he would think. And he said, and he and he's been watching a lot of uh, Sunderland women's games this season and he's really uh, got hooked on it, so, so to speak. And, it, and for him personally, he said he would have no problems with it. And the main idea is to keep women's football in the top tier in the Tyne and Weir area. Yeah. yeah. Given that they would not, the, the the alternative might not be not have a club at all. Maybe they would give in for it at least until maybe they grow and then be able to separate again, maybe. I think the area thing's an interesting point, though, because like you say, we said that it's quite um, Southern heavy, this team, apart from the couple of um, Northern, Northern clubs that we've got in it as well. And I think... And Sunderland first came up and obviously we speaking to Mick Mulhern for a piece I did on this restructuring and he was saying about how there's not necessarily a catchment area for talent that's as obvious as there is for the, the rest of the North or down in London. So when the, it was their only option was kind of developing young players and as much as they did develop people like Jill Scott and Lucy Bronze and, and put their time into that and the, and the coach and the resources into that, that was kind of inevitable because that was the situation that they were in and obviously that became their... Um, identity in their, their unique selling point if you like and this a massive amazing thing about Sunderland was that they were 
um, developing these players that have now become such a cornerstone of the England team and, and the Lionesses brands in this country and everything. So I think it's that's been a big thing for them about the possibility of losing to Lund is that you're losing a club that have been at the forefront of so much history in terms of the players that they've churned out and developed and things like that. So I think if you're looking at if the option is like a merged team with Newcastle when it might not be it might be University it might be something else um, then that's certainly a more attractive prospect in terms of what it does for women's football in the North East than it is to not have a women's team as you were saying Yeah absolutely you've got um, Sunderland have really done well in at least the Continental Cup this year they've they've won four out of four matches and leading the group are going into the into the quarterfinal stage um, given that their success Chris at least in the Cup it's going to be a, a disappointment if there isn't a Sunderland team in some regard next season and how well they've done given that they're only part-time competing with the rest of the teams. Yeah, it is. And, you know, even the WSL era, I think of Beth Mead, the goal she scored to get Sunderland up and everything. And, you know, but uh, even even supporters, like we said, they could lose supporters if, if they merged and, and the supporters weren't happy with that, you know. Supporters who you know on Twitter and you see at the Sunderland games and everything, and it's it's just very very sad to think that you know they won't have a club anymore. You know, possibly won't have a club to support with in women's football. You know, it's getting bigger and bigger, and the more it grows, it, it would just be very sad to see the the clubs and and the people that you've grown up supporting women's football with, yeah. and and they're not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, Sunderland, up until the point that they got into the WSL, they were rejected, I think, a few times. And under, underneath that, they won the Premier League about three times in a row. And it just shows it just shows how well they can bring players through. And as you say, Beth Mead, who's an absolute goal machine, and she's got like, I think it was like 60 goals in two seasons when she was in the Premier League, which, yeah. which is phenomenal. And obviously she's at Arsenal now and really doing well. Well, she's finally getting games played in her position, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, Oxford United are in a similar position to Sunderland. They don't appear to have the funds and will reconsider their position in March. Moving on to March then, when there's going to be an open application process for the remaining clubs, there's a possible four positions left in WSL 1 and five spots in WSL 2. First of all, Chris, who do you think potentially will apply for WSL 1? I don't know. I mean, Katie might have a better insight into this. I think West Ham have made their position pretty well known um that they want to give it a good go so i would i would be surprised to not see their name in wsl1 um i think derby have or uh, as well have, have made their intentions clear that they want to they want to push for a league spot as well um the others i'm not sure um you know i really don't know who, who else could come through um i don't know if katie knows any better or would have any ideas um, probably not. I would say that West Ham was the first one that sprung to mind for me because they obviously did um, a big um, article with, with there was a big like newspaper spread with Gold's son and how he's the, the son's going to take over this yeah. women's club with an eventual view to maybe having a, a role higher up at the men's team. But obviously that's the, we know how, how much trouble they're in to bring in David Moyes to do a firefighting job in the Premier League and, <laughs> and stuff. So you're kind of, and obviously all the upheaval they've had with the, the shift to the, the the stadium and the problems that that's caused and stuff. So from how committed they seem and how passionate they seem, that's a good thing. But then it's the point of view, that question as well as, as, as when you're having clubs like um, 
like Doncaster Bells who were saying, well, we can't afford to, to compete in this and a club that have been so synonymous with what women's mm. football is in this country. And then you have West Ham who have just as a kind of not got that same history, but have got the financial backing by virtue of being West Ham. Then it's, it's that thing that's a little bit tricky in terms of what that does for how the women's games almost relationship with its history almost, I think is quite an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. But it's, it's the same as well, like of Man United are so reticent to have a women's game and have just not ever been expressed an interest in it and things like that. And it's just that that thing of, again, it's it's how important when, when men's clubs see it and whether it's a priority for them. And that's what it's going to depend on. Yeah, that's yeah, that's all. It's always a bit of a sore spot, um, Man United. Uh, what we found out recently when I was doing some research is they've actually got one of the best junior uh, women's uh, coaching setup, yeah. uh, along with like the likes of Birmingham City. But they just, um, as you say, reticent to get a senior senior team, and it's it's got to the point where it's it's become farcical, and it's uh, but it's just it's weird. Um, West Ham obviously have parted with their manager, the um, the ladies team anyway, recently. So maybe they're looking to. Uh, get a setup in place for next next year. Maybe they know something. Maybe they got got someone in mind. Another team I thought potentially might do as they're in the Premier League as well. Stoke, but again, Stoke are not doing very well in the Premier League for the men at the moment. So maybe they they're not gonna. That's not gonna be on their uh, first thoughts going into the next into the new year at least. Mm-hmm. Maybe Leicester with with the money they've got perhaps might go. They're in the third tier currently along with West Ham. I think for the for the women's side especially the. Um... AFC filed as well are making a bit of a move, um, you know, tr- making a few signings and and putting a bit out there. I don't know whether they'd be they'd be one that would be interested as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who uh, applies when we get to March. It's March the 9th that is the deadline for that one. Uh, any other final thoughts on the teams that are currently um, being accepted into the WSL? Any of you, Chris? Do you want to start? I don't think it was a massive surprise when the announcement came out that it was, you know, basically Brighton taking Sunderland's place in in WSL one, and and then other teams get the opportunity come March. Um, yeah, so I, we knew we knew the teams that weren't going to apply, so so there wasn't a, a great deal of surprise really. Katie, any any thoughts? Yeah, I'd echo that. Apart from the Oval, obviously, we, who everyone just thought were, were yeah. doomed. And, and that was the only real surprise because, obviously, the casualties we'd seen in Oxford and Watford and um, Sunderland, we'd already seen those over the, the few weeks. So that was the anxiety, the thing that we'd seen a lot of the, the casualties already by that point. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of, it could have been a lot worse. I think the Oval is the, the biggest success story in Brighton. As you say, Brighton overtaking Sunderland's not that much of a surprise, given what we know. So, yeah, I think it was just... Um, it was concerning given the speed. Obviously, the clubs, the, the FA have said that the clubs have been notified in as early as July, but then it was officially announced in September, so they only had sort of eight to ten weeks to put this application process in place or whatever. So I think the fact that the clubs, the, the smaller teams like Yeovil, managed to do that is a massive, massive achievement. So we shouldn't probably lose sight of that amid the fact that it's a massive success story, but also what an achievement and a turnaround in fortunes for them to have been able to get that over the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeovil is the, the, the was the story of the day basically um, when it when it all came out. Yeovil getting the success that they wanted and staying in WSL one, given that they got promoted as champions last year in WSL two. It's a it's a real good story and it and it's a positive even though there's a sound note as you say that this process process from the start has been rushed and it hopefully will turn out okay. But at the moment we really just don't know and it's a we'll see, isn't it? That's all for this week's show. Thanks to Chris and Katie for joining me. Chris, how can they find you? Yeah, uh, so on, if you follow on Twitter, uh, at AWC 
A-I-B. Thanks, Chris. Katie, how can they find you? I'm on Twitter uh, at Katie Wyatt. So it's Katie with an I-E and then W-H-Y-A-T-T, not W-Y, um, just to be complicated. Um, and I just, I sort of tweet all sorts of stuff about football and I'm not the most interesting tweeter. I don't take myself too seriously, but yeah. Um, I'm obviously a massive Bradford fan, so a lot of that stuff on there as well. But yeah, I just tweet about football in general, so that's where you can find me. We'll have, we'll have to we'll have to have a, a competition to see how much a, a bigger bigger fan you are of Bradford compared to Chris of Birmingham. We'll, we'll... At the moment, it'll be Katie of Bradford. Let me tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. It's also thanks to Jazar for allowing us to use his song No Control as our intro music. You've been listening to the Great Since 68 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us so you can get the show every week as soon as it comes out. Just search for Damson Park Dames on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and any other podcast platform you may use. If you prefer to listen through SoundCloud, be sure to give us a follow on there so you can get notified every week when a new episode is out. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Great Since 68. Thanks everyone for listening and remember, keep right on. 